Well, this morning we begin a new sermon series in the book of Ephesians. I don't think it's an accident that this corresponds to the 10th anniversary of 9-11, because as I said at the beginning of the service, that 10 years on after this event, I think that we are more ready today to listen to God's plan for how the world is to be fixed, to listen to God's plan for how He intends to bring order to His fallen world than we were 10 years ago. And it just so happens that this is what the book of Ephesians is about. It's about how God intends to fix the universe. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1, it's page 827 in the Bibles the church provides. And what I'm going to do this morning is walk through the book of Ephesians somewhat quickly with us, and we're going to look at the first three chapters and a few selected verses from those chapters to try to get an idea of what is God's plan for dealing with evil in the universe. And so we begin in the very first section of the book, which is verses 3 through 14, and I'm going to focus only on verses 9 and 10. Listen as I read. And He, that's God the Father, made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. What Paul's getting ready to do is reveal God's will, God's plan. This is God's plan for dealing with the problems of our broken and fallen world. Here's the plan. It's the last phrase of verse 10. This is it. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's God's plan for dealing with the problem of evil in the world today. When he looks out and sees our world, this beautiful world that he created, the world that he intended to be a place full of joy and happiness and love and peace and worship and honor, when he sees a sinful and broken and fallen world, a world filled with evil that an event like 9-11 just simply highlights, God looks out and says, but I've got a plan. And this is the plan. To bring all things together under Christ. Now that the word that's used for bring together is a word that was used in sort of ancient Greek speeches or talks or even sermons, if you will. When someone is giving a speech or a talk, they may cover a whole bunch of different points in their talk or in their sermon. But at some point in a good rhetorical presentation, there is a section where everything gets tied together, where that one major point or whatever it is is brought out and all these different elements are brought into a unity and it becomes clear and understandable. That's what God is saying He wants to do in this world 
through Jesus. That in this world there are lots of broken pieces. There are lots of different elements going in different directions. And God's plan is, as he says, I've got a plan. I'm going to bring them all together and pick up the broken pieces and mend it. And I'm going to do that in Jesus. Now this is the sort of overarching plan. This is the long-range plan. And in fact... Paul says that this plan, verse 10, is going to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. That there's coming a moment in the future in which this plan will be fully consummated, that Christ will return to the earth and set up a kingdom that will draw together all of the separate pieces, all of the brokenness, all of the problems, and it will mend things. And this kingdom will be a kingdom of peace and of justice and of mercy and of love. And that Christ will rule over the entire earth. And there will not be events like 9-11 and those sorts of things. This is God's plan. Now it's a long-range plan and our ultimate hope is for the future for this return of Christ to come and make things right, to come and restore order and to bring peace. But as this is a long-range plan that will be fully implemented in the future, there is still a current implementation strategy that God has for this plan. And we want to look at that strategy this morning. There are really four steps that God is doing or has done right now to implement this overarching plan to fix everything in Jesus. The first step of his implementation strategy is found in the next section of the book of Ephesians, verses 15 to 23, and we'll focus on verses 20 and 21, actually back up half a verse into 19, where it says, that power, speaking of God the Father's power, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God's overarching plan is he's going to fix everything in Jesus. That awaits its final consummation in the future. But in the present right now, God is implementing a strategy for accomplishing that. And the first step in that strategy is to appoint someone in authority. When 9-11 occurred, and we sort of sifted through all that had happened, one of the things that came out is is that there had been some warning signs that this was coming. The problem was is that our intelligence community appeared, at least to some, to be broken, that there was a lack of communication among different branches and among different arms, and different groups of people were responsible for safety and security and for uh, gathering intelligence and for processing that. And so President Bush, seeing this problem that the system seemed to be broken, created the Department of Homeland Security. And the idea was, is if we're, going to, if we're going to defend against these kinds of things, 
We've got to have one place where all this stuff is brought to and really one person who's an authority over all of these different branches so that the efforts to uh, increase security can be coordinated. Well, the same is true in God's plan. If all of these different elements and all of these different pieces are going to be brought back together into one holistic unity, it requires that there be one person who is put in authority over everything. And God says that person has already been appointed. And his name is Jesus. That because Jesus obeyed the command of God the Father and became one of us and submitted himself not only to life here on this earth, but even to death on a cross, for that reason God has exalted him to the highest place in all of existence. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus has been appointed as Lord over everything. That's what Ephesians is saying. God placed him in authority over everything. Every government, every army, every legislature, every judicial branch, every person, even Satan and the demonic forces of the world and spiritual powers, even sin, everything is under the authority of Jesus. God's appointed him to be over everything. This is how he's going to bring everything back together is because he's put it all under one person who has the authority in every realm of life. But there's a problem. Is that most of the people and things who are currently under Jesus' authority don't recognize his authority. He is over everything. But there are most, if not all, nations who do not recognize his authority. Judicial branches, armies, people, they are not currently recognizing that Jesus is in authority. So that leads to step two of the implementation plan. And that's found in verses 22 and 23 of this same section. Step one, appoint Christ as authority. Step two, verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. That's what we were talking about. That's step one. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Step two of God's implementation plan is that he created a pilot program. He created a pilot program. Now, in the early 1990s, there were two men teaching in the Houston School District, Dave Levin and Mike Feinberg, and they were involved in an inner-city school And while they were there, they were becoming increasingly frustrated at the way that these inner city schools in Houston were failing these students. These students had really really no chance, no chance to get out, that there was no teaching really that they were being effective in their lives, that the things that were going on were really in many ways completely hopeless. And as these two men were there teaching in that scenario and in that system, they came up with an idea. The idea of, they called it, Knowledge is Power Program, or KIPP. 
And the idea of KIPP was is that they wanted to do a pilot. They wanted to run school differently, to have a different way of recruiting teachers, a different hours in the school day, a different schedule for the year, to teach differently, to encourage kids from the very moment they walked into school that you can go to college to tell these students in the inner city that they could do this and to help them and to track them along the way. And this idea that they came up with, this knowledge is power program, was not something that was run in the middle of the Houston Independent School District. It was an idea about doing something still in the city of Houston and still in the inner city, not taking kids out to the suburbs, but something separate, a pilot program, if you will, an idea of doing school differently. Today, the KIPP Schools is the largest network of charter schools in America, most of them in the inner city, and they are wildly successful. And there have been great stories about how they have been able to help students from the inner city uh, get to college and get through college. But the idea was is that they would create a different kind of educational place. Well, that's what God is doing in His plan. That currently even though Jesus is in authority over everything because most do not recognize his authority. God decided to open up a space where Jesus would exercise his lordship right now, not just in the future, but today, where the blessings of the joy and the peace of Christ reigning as king could be experienced. That idea, the idea that Christ would be experienced now in a place here in this world, that idea, God called the church. Church with a capital C, the idea of a universal church that God would not pull us out of the world, but instead would open up a space where people in this world could begin to experience now the blessings of living under the Lordship of Christ. A pilot program, if you will, in the midst of a fallen and broken world. Well, that leads to step three in God's implementation plan. Not only did he appoint Jesus over everything, not only did he come up with the idea of making a space in this world where Jesus could exercise his authority now, step three comes in chapter two, verses one to ten. And we're only going to look at verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I mentioned to you the idea of the Knowledge is Power program, this charter school system, the KIPP schools that those two men, Mike and Dave, came up with. Well, when they were first coming up with this idea, they got so excited about the possibility 
of these students that they cared so desperately about that were in these inner city schools, that this could actually rescue them out of this, that they could actually have a positive experience. They got so excited that they began to go door to door and build relationships with families and with kids and began to share with them this idea. And then they personally invited them to be part of this idea. That's step three in God's process as well, is that he is personally inviting people to join his pilot program, that Christ is over everything, that God has created a pilot, that his lordship can be exercised in a space in this world. And step three, he begins to invite people, come be part of this, come join this program. Wouldn't it be great to live in a place where Christ is Lord? to experience that peace and justice. And so God is inviting people to come be part of his program. See, when he looks out in this world, in many ways he probably views what's going on here kind of like Dave and Mike did when they looked at the Houston inner city school system. It looked to be a, because of the evil in this world, a hopeless situation. How are we ever going to get out? Now, some of the situation is a result of the environment in which we live. We do live in a world filled with evil, not by God's choice, but because of human choices. But the problems in this world are not just the environment. It's also partly us. We've contributed. We're part of the reason why the world is broken. And so God looks at this broken and sinful world in which we are both victim and contributor. And he comes and he knocks on our door and he invites us. Look, come join this idea. Come be part of this program. Come experience what it's like to live in a place where Christ is Lord. And step three of the process is God is currently inviting people to join his pilot program. The fourth step in his implementation strategy is found in the next section, verses 11 through 22. And we focus here on verses 19 through 22. Consequently, meaning because if you're a believer in Jesus, you have accepted God's personal invitation to join his pilot program. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, that's church with a capital C, the idea of Christ reigning in this world, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, and here he's speaking to the local church at Ephesus, not church with a capital C, church with a small c. You too, and by implication to Calvary Church, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The fourth and final step of God's implementation strategy is that He is placing those who respond to His invitation into local churches. You see, when... Uh, Dave Levin and Mike Feinberg went knocking on people's doors 
and laid out for them this program, this knowledge is power program, this idea that their kids could go to college, that they could receive a great education. They weren't just signing people up for an idea. After they bought into the idea, they placed them into an actual school where that idea could be lived out, where they could experience that kind of teaching. And that there's a whole network of those kinds of schools all trying to implement that one idea. So it is in God's plan. Is that when we come to faith, we don't simply accept the idea of a place and a space in this world where Christ is Lord. That when we accept that, He actually puts us into a local church where that idea can be realized. And we can begin to experience life, not without its problems. None of the KIPP schools is without problems. The idea is great. The implementation has difficulties. So it is with the church. God's idea is perfect. That He would gather together a community in this world today that is beginning to live under the Lordship of Jesus. And that's the local church. He's talking here about churches like Calvary Church or Ada Bible Church or Trinity Baptist Church or First Reformed Church. These are places in this world where the Lordship of Christ is beginning to happen now, not just in the future, but now. And the way God is dealing with evil in this world is he's created this pilot program, this idea that we cannot live under the world's systems, but be under the Lordship of Christ. See, Jesus is over the United States of America. But when God wanted to fix the problems in this world, he did not make Jesus president of the United States of America. Instead, he opened up a separate space, different from the governments and institutions of this world, a place where Christ can reign, not as president, but as Lord. And he's inviting us out of this broken world and into that space which is being realized in the local churches around the world today. That's God's plan, to bring everything back together in Christ. And this is how he's implementing it now as we wait for Christ's return in the future. Now that's good theory, but what does it look like in real life? What does it look like in flesh and blood? Well, to show this to you, I want to share a video testimony of somebody from our congregation. She's here this morning. Both of them are here this morning who illustrate exactly what this looks like. Watch this, if you will. Hi, my name is Colleen Wunder, and I would like to share with you a story of friendship and the remarkable power of prayer. I first met my friend Trisha Thompson about seven years ago at East Hills Athletic Club and we started working out together and became fast friends. Uh, I realized pretty quickly that Trish was lost and that there was a void in her life that only Jesus could fill. So I um, would periodically pray for Trish and look for ways to share my faith with her. And then uh, on a Sunday in June 2010, Pastor Jim gave us the challenge to pick three people who we knew needed to know Christ and that we'd commit to praying for those three people every day. 
and I knew that Trish needed to be on the top of my list. Hi, my name is Trisha Thompson, and up until last fall, I knew about God and I knew about Jesus, but I was not a Christian. I would say I was spiritual, but I prayed when I needed something or I wanted something in my life. I was married. I had two beautiful girls. I had wonderful friends in my life, wonderful neighbors. I had a lovely home, and the home was complete with two dogs and two cats. And um, despite all the appearances, I had a huge void in my life that I was trying to fix. The beginning of September, excuse me, the beginning of 2010, um, in that February, my husband told me that he wanted a separation. He wasn't sure about our marriage, and he needed some time. My husband did decide that he wanted a divorce, and as my world came absolutely crumbling down around me, um, everything that I envisioned my life would be was, was wiped. It was gone. And I remember literally curled up in a ball on my closet floor, and I was crying so hard I could, could not even breathe. And I remember just a sense of calm and peace filling the room. And I heard a voice say to me, I am. I am here. I will not leave you, and I will carry you through this. So I got up. And I walked over to my message board and I wrote the words, I am, across my message board. And that was the night that my journey with Jesus began. I knew that the Lord was the only one who could heal my heart. And I know he was the only one that could make me whole again. And I also knew with this sense of peace that he gave me, that his plans for me and my life were far greater than my own or anything that I could ever imagine. So during such a time of crisis when my life wasn't turning out the way I planned it to turn out, it was so awesome to know that that wasn't the deciding factor. It wasn't going to define me. Um, what defined me was going to be the plans that God had for me. I firmly believe that it was because I was at the top of Colleen's list of people to pray for that I heard the Lord speak to me that night. Um, my heart was torn apart, and when my heart was that broken and the failure of my marriage was too much for me to bear, God's unconditional love and support gave me the peace of knowing that even through all of this pain, that everything would work together for good for those who love him. So that gave me extreme peace through all of the pain. Calvary Church has been a huge part of my spiritual journey and healing. I became part of a woman's Bible study. I attended divorce care. My daughter also attended divorce care for kids. Um, I also decided that I wanted to strengthen my commitment to the Lord by jo joining a community group and really wanted to represent 
in my community and in my neighborhood what God can do for someone. And I also now have a list of three. And Jesus rocks. And then the final icing on this wonderful cake. Logan, my son, who's 10, had named Trisha's daughter Ryan as one of his three. And now Ryan knows Jesus too. That's this plan in flesh and blood, that Trisha's world came crashing down much the same way two towers came crashing down ten years ago. And in the midst of that brokenness and in the midst of that pain, it was God's personal invitation through Colleen's prayers and through his own voice, calling Trisha out of that world and into a space where Jesus rocks to experience the joy and the peace that comes when he's Lord, that he can fix things. And he placed her into a community here at Calvary Church, a place where she could begin to experience life under the Lordship of Jesus. Calvary's not perfect, of course. We've got lots of problems. But this is a place where Jesus is exercising his Lordship in the here and now. And that's how God's addressing the issue of evil in this world today. I want to close with one final verse from the book of Ephesians. It's chapter 3, verse 10. Paul's told us that God's plan is to bring everything back together in Christ. You see how this happens in someone's life. In verse 10 he says, God's intent was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. See, the rest of the book of Ephesians is about how to be that kind of church, to how to allow Christ to exercise his lordship here so that God's pilot program is successful, so that God might demonstrate to the world and to the whole universe that the best way to live life is under the lordship of Christ. And so that people in our dark and broken world may see these communities of light that God has created and may come and be drawn to the place of rescue that only Jesus provides. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for Colleen and for Logan and their faithfulness to pray. I thank you for Tricia and for Ryan. Lord, thank you for seeing them in the midst of where they were and personally inviting them to come and experience the joy of forgiveness in Christ, to be part of a space and a place where justice and mercy and love reign because Christ is Lord. God, I thank you that you have a plan for dealing with evil in this world. Lord, forgive us for thinking that you don't or wanting your plan to be our plan. God, we see what you're doing. We see that you are every day and every place rescuing those that you love and care for out of a broken and fallen world and bringing them into your kingdom of the son whom you love. 
God, we give you all of the praise and all of the glory. Your wisdom is beyond our understanding, and your grace is what saves us. In Jesus' name I pray.